What's up, Bulls Nation? Once again, I am coming at you guys. Fucking hot post game here. I'm heated after watching the end of that. I mean, how can you not be heated after watching the end of that game, man? I'm not a dude who usually complains about the refs. You know, I think for the most part, every team gets screwed over by the refs at some point, but it seems like the Bulls have been getting screwed over by the refs a lot very early in the season. You know, we had the Washington game where they admitted after the fact that DeMar was fouled on that game-winning three. We had last night that big-time Javante Green offensive foul that should have been ruled a block, that would have been an and-one and could have potentially swung that game. And then tonight, I mean, there's like 10 different instances tonight where you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, what agenda are these refs pushing right now? Obviously, the big one is that foul at the end of the game. You know, you could talk about verticality, with Joel Embiid going up, he did not go straight up. He went into DeMar DeRozan. His arms were out in front of DeMar or out in front of him towards DeMar DeRozan. He initiated contact with DeMar DeRozan. No call. Refs just let that go. There was a play, I think it was two minutes before that. Alex Caruso drove in. Uh, Embiid bodied him in the air, knocked him to the ground. No call. There was a play before that. Uh, DJJ was matched up with Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid hooks him, drags him across the lane. No call. Should have been an offensive foul. There was the James Harden play where Pat uh, Pat Will is guarding him. James Harden drives, smacks Pat Will in the face, hooks Pat Will's arm. Somehow Pat Will is called for the foul on that. What the hell was going on with this game? It is so frustrating watching the Philadelphia 76ers play basketball. They flop and wind their way into calls, and it is absolutely infuriating. Now, I don't understand how this keeps happening. James Harden has been doing this for over 10 years now. You saw last year, you know, they said they were going to stop calling these fouls for him and Trey Young and these other guys that do that shit. That didn't happen. He's still getting these same calls. It happens every year. How do the refs not have some sort of sense of pride, right? Like, I get it. If he tricks you into a call one time, I get it. You should go back. You should watch the tape. You should be like, oh, shit, he got me there. I'm not going to let him get me again. Instead, these refs keep giving him these same calls year after year after year, and I don't understand. And Joel Embiid, he is just the James Harden of big men, dude. Like, for as physically imposing and dominating as he should be, the man just flops his way to calls. I mean, another one I didn't even mention is when uh, Patrick Williams got called for that foul when Joel Embiid set the screen on him, and Joel Embiid flew back and totally flopped. Patrick Williams weighs like 220. Joel Embiid is pushing 300 pounds. There is no way Patrick Williams knocked Joel Embiid on his ass like that. That was a grade A class in acting right there, and it's so frustrating to play against, man. I cannot stand the Philadelphia 76ers. Their whole team is built that way. You saw P.J. Tucker. He was doing that little shit, you know, holding guys, dirty screens, all sorts of stuff, and every time he got called for it, He acted like, you know, he'd never been called for a foul in his life. Their whole team is built like that. It's super annoying to play against, but I'm not even mad at them, you know. If you're getting away with it, you're going to keep doing it. Why would they go away from it? It's working for them. The refs are giving them these calls. I just don't understand how the refs continue to be fooled by these clowns. It makes no sense to me. Um, But, man, it was just a piss-poor game refereeing-wise. The Sixers got the benefit of the doubt way too many times but let's back it up let's break this game down in full you know obviously it was another game where the starters came out slow you know this is a recurring theme we are doing this every single game every game the starters come out and they're getting blown out the water 
right away. It's getting real old to watch. I mean, this is five of seven games now where the starters have been down by more than 10 in the first quarter. It's awesome that we keep coming back, that we keep battling our way back from these big deficits. But as you can see, we can't count on that. You know, as you can see, that doesn't mean we're going to win just because we made it a close game. That's not a moral victory. There's no such thing as moral victories. There's only real victories. So we got to quit coming out slow like that. This was another game where Alex Caruso was forced into the starting lineup. Obviously, Ayo DeSumo was out. That hurts. But um, I was kind of surprised that we went with Caruso at the point. You know, we must really be trying to save Goran Dragic's minutes this year because I would have thought he was the clear starter at point guard with how he's been playing. And then I didn't understand what was going on with his minutes tonight because he only got 13 minutes tonight. I don't know how, with how this dude has been playing lately, how you only play him 13 minutes in a game where we're already down a guard doesn't make any sense. Um, the point guard position was a mess tonight. You know, we got excited when we saw Daylon Terry, Terry sorry, um, check into the game. He only got three minutes. He played three quick minutes in the first quarter. He looked like a kid who's in his first real NBA minutes against real NBA players. He's only got uh, scrub minutes, you know, victory cigar minutes at the end of games so far. So he looked nervous. You know, any, any, what is he, 20 years old? Any kid in that position is going to be nervous. You got to give him more than three minutes to get his legs, legs up underneath him and to knock the nerves out. So we didn't see any kind of impact from Dalen Terry. He didn't even really get a chance to make an impact. Like I said, um, Dragic only got 13 minutes tonight. I would have rather seen him start at the point guard in a game where we're missing Desumu. I honestly would have rather seen Kobe White start at point guard because we need a little bit more offensive punch. You know, Caruso was great in this game. I'm going to talk a lot about Caruso later. I thought he was fantastic in this game, especially on the defensive end. But when he's in the starting lineup, you know, we get off to these slow starts. And, um, you know, at some point... The pattern becomes the reason, you know. So if the pattern is that Alex Caruso is in the starting lineups when we're getting off to these slow starts, he might be the reason we're getting off to these slow starts. We might need a little bit more offensive punch at the start of these games. But that first quarter, it was ugly. Um, the starters, obviously, were starting slow. It was another game where the Bulls were just giving up open three after open three. You know, just walking threes, corner threes. It's like P.J. Tucker can only make one shot and that is the corner three you would think the bulls didn't know that going into this game because that dude was getting open looks for corner threes the entire game um they were they were lights out in that first quarter from three and the bulls were scrambling the bulls didn't know what to do they couldn't really keep up this was the rare time where their bench really couldn't do anything coming into the game you know you saw their first couple of rotation minutes in this game and they didn't have anything for the Sixers at first. It took till about the second quarter for them to get going. But luckily, we had DeMar DeRozan, man. DeMar DeRozan was the only thing that was stopping this from being a total and complete blowout. He was carrying this team in the first quarter. He was getting to his mid-range spots. He was uh, getting to the free throw line. We saw him hit a three tonight. DeMar DeRozan carried this team in the first half. He had 20 points in the first half to really carry the load and try to will this team into the game. Uh, the whole first half, I was just watching, and I was like, DeMar DeRozan looks like the only bull who realizes they have a game today. You know, the rest of the team really didn't look like they knew they were playing today or that they had the energy to play today. So that was disappointing to see, you know, another slow first quarter, and it's becoming a red flag. It's becoming a theme with this team that they're getting off to these slow starts. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's confidence in the ability to to uh, battle their way back. If so, that's pretty stupid. You can't be confident in something like that. You need to come out and set tones in games. 
I don't know if it's just the lineup isn't working. I don't know if, you know, Billy's not getting these guys ready for the game. The pregame speech really ain't on point. I don't know what it is, but either way, this is a concerning pattern of behavior with this team that they're getting off to these slow starts. And they got a brutal schedule coming up. You know, they got the Brooklyn Nets next. They're struggling this season, but the Sixers are struggling this season. So uh, who knows what the Nets are going to look like against the Bulls. You know, the Nets have really struggled shooting the ball. The Sixers have been struggling shooting the ball coming into this game. And then you look, and it looked like they had five Steph Currys out there tonight. They were making threes from everywhere. So who knows? I mean, the Bulls kind of seem to be that team that it's easy to get off against. The Bulls are going to give you open threes. And not only open threes, they're going to give you the easy open threes. The corner three is the easiest three in the NBA to make. The Bulls will give you that all night long. The step-in three is the second easiest three to make. Bulls are going to give you that all night long. So they need to do something. Like I said in yesterday's post-game podcast, they need to change it up, man. This dates back to last year where they're giving up open three after open three. It's got to be a coaching thing at this point. You know, they got to learn how to close out better. They got to stick to their men better, and they got to know their personnel better. You hear Stacey King say it all the time, KYP, know your personnel, because there's so many times where, you know, P.J. Tucker's standing in the corner, and for some reason his man is helping off to defend a guy who's not really a threat. It doesn't make sense. They don't seem to know their personnel, and that's leading to a lot of these open threes that you're seeing the other teams making. So the first quarter, you know, it was kind of a shit show for the Bulls. The one bright spot that I had besides DeMar, you know, kind of carrying him was Vooch in the first quarter, he wasn't shooting threes. Um, he finished the game a very impressive 5-7 of seven from 3. Huge improvement over what we've been seeing from him this year from 3. But you saw him get to the basket a couple times in that first quarter by spacing out at 3, catching it, hitting that little, you know, that little stutter step like he is going to shoot, and then just taking off as they close out on him and get into the rim. So it's nice to see Vooch mixing the bag up, you know, giving him different looks, not just being a catch-and-shoot 3-point guy. So that was nice to see in the first quarter like I said after one it was 37 to 22 and it was looking bleak you know I was preparing for another 20 point loss I was preparing for I'm gonna have to sit and watch this whole blowout so I can accurately break it down but thank god the Bulls came out in the second half and they came out hungry you know they came out that second quarter with a little bit different energy Patrick Williams had his third straight impressive game. So you look at his stat line, and it's nothing too impressive. You know, nine points, three rebounds, one steal, one block. The one thing I did like is he got above 30 minutes today. You know, yesterday he only played 20 minutes. I didn't understand it. I thought he deserved to be closer to 30. Tonight we saw him closer to 30. Now, a lot of that had to do with Drummond not being in, so you saw a little mix-up in the front court minutes. You saw Pat play the five a couple times. You saw a very, what I thought was a pretty effective lineup of Pat and DJJ in the front court for a little spell there. So a lot of that was Drummond-related because they didn't have Drummond tonight. But Pat, I thought he played great. He had that one sequence where uh, he got that aggressive rebound over Harrell. He dribbled it coast-to-coast, and he took a hard foul. Those are the type of plays we got to see Patrick Williams making. You know, uh, Stacey King talked about it on the broadcast again tonight, how he talked with Patrick Williams. And he told him, you can't always be deferring to Zach and to DeMar. Like, when you get a defensive rebound, when you get a steal, you should look to push that ball yourself and make your own offense yourself in those scenarios. You need to uh, hunt the offensive glass. You need to cut to the hoop. You need to do something 
to get your own offense going. You can't just be reliant on catch-and-shoot jump shots. And I thought we saw a little bit more out of that from Patrick Williams tonight. I thought we saw some great defense out of Patrick Williams tonight, some great on-ball defense. He had some nice stretches against James Harden. He did a good job shutting down Tobias Harris. I thought he looked like a great defender tonight. So third straight good game from Patrick Williams, even if the stat line doesn't necessarily reflect it. It's all in the eye test. If you're really watching the game tonight, you know Patrick Williams was one of the better players on the floor for the Chicago Bulls. Um, But the big thing tonight, obviously, is we didn't have Andre Drummond, and you saw the Bulls get bullied, especially in those bench units. You know That second quarter, you saw at least three possessions in a row where Alex Caruso got switched onto Montrez Harrell, and it was game over. You know A shot went up. Montrez Harrell's going to get that offensive rebound 10 times out of 10. When Embiid checked back into the game, you saw that one sequence. Caruso got switched onto him. He fought like hell to prevent him from getting the entry pass inside. Sixers hoist up a shot. Joel Embiid grabs that ball like it's nothing over Alex Caruso, puts it back in. You know, that's a big problem when this team has an injury. You know, if Drummond goes down, if Vooch goes down. I was I was pretty happy we didn't see Tony Bradley out there because we all know Tony Bradley is an absolute disaster. I'll take my chances with a small ball five over Tony Bradley there. But at the same time, we got bullied. And part of that's the matchup. You know, when they run Joel Embiid and then they run Montrez Harrell, there's not a whole lot of teams in the East that are going to be able to run that. I mean, the, the Celtics, they have Al Horford. They don't have Robert Williams right now. But their backup big is like Blake Griffin, Luke Cornett. You know, they're not really running a bully ball type dude like Montrez Harrell who's gonna cra- who's gonna crash the offensive boards. The Bucks, they run Brooke Lopez and Giannis. Um their backup five is obviously Bobby Portis, but he's not really a huge bully ball type player. So they're not a huge threat in that area. The Miami Heat, I don't even know who their backup center is. You know, I guess it's Dwayne Dedman and then they got Bam out of bio. So they're not a huge problem when it comes to that matchup. But the Bulls are going to see a lot of that in those games that uh, that one of those two is out. You know, Vooch, he's not going to make it all 82 games this year. He's probably going to get hurt at some point. We've seen that throughout his career, you know, a couple little nicks and bruises. Andre Drummond, he can be pretty reliable, but we got to prepare for if one of those guys are out. So I've been floating it this week because the Bulls, uh, Tony Bradley's guarantees on his contract, they're done. They could cut him today and walk away without owing him another dollar. I think we're going to see that pretty soon. It's obvious Billy doesn't believe in Marco, so I think they need to go out and they need to get some insurance. There's been people talking about that roster spot they're going to have open, talking about Carmelo Anthony, getting him as an extra off-the-bench punch. Carmelo Anthony is probably in my top five favorite players to watch ever. He was so much fun in his prime. I really respect what he did when he went to the Blazers and turned his game around and became an off-the-bench threat, I thought he was one of the lone bright spots on the Lakers last year. I don't think he fits on this team this year. You know, we're already crowded at the four with Patrick Williams, Javante Green, and Derrick Jones Jr. And, I mean, Carmelo, I don't know if he wants to play for Billy Donovan again. I don't know if Billy Donovan wants to coach him again, if we're being real about it. So, I think, you know, the mellow thing, I'm not too huge on that. One player I would like to see them go get is Boogie Cousins. You know, Boogie Cousins has a rep around the league for how he acted in his prime when he was with the Kings. You know, he was kind of a menace. He was a fantastic basketball player, but he was kind of toxic in Sacramento, and it didn't help that the situation he was in was horrible. You know, that was the classic toxic relationship where both sides are kind of dragging each other down. 
He got to New Orleans. He got shipped off to New Orleans. He was great over there. You know, you never heard any bad things about him in New Orleans. He had them ready to go, ready to make the playoffs that year. And then he tore his Achilles. And that's a devastating injury for your guy. He went to the Warriors for a couple years, went to the Lakers for a couple years. He's bounced around since then. Most recently, I think he finished last year on the Denver Nuggets. And he's shown with the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the Milwaukee Bucks. There's been three instances recently where he's been signed. And he's just been the in-case-of-emergency big man. He's just kind of played that mentor role to the younger guys. And he's stayed ready to play. And when he has played, he's put up numbers. So I would like to see them go get Boogie Cousins. You know, his attitude has totally turned around with everything he's been through. Torn Achilles, torn ACL, torn quad muscle. The dude's been through the ringer, man. And he's come out, you know, with a totally different perspective, totally different attitude. And uh, he's a good veteran player to have on the team. Good in case of emergency player he is. I would like him a lot more than Dwight Howard on this team. I don't know if Dwight Howard has would have the lower expectations that a Boogie Cousins would have. You know, Boogie Cousins has shown in three stops now. That he's cool not playing every single game, but he's going to make an impact when he does get to play. Dwight Howard hasn't shown that, you know. So if they're looking to shore up that front line, I think Boogie Cousins would be the way to go. The uh, The biggest thing we saw in that second quarter, though. So after one, it is 34-27. Or no, it's not 34-27, sorry. After one, it's 37-22. In the second quarter, though, the Bulls outscored them 34-27. to So... We were down nine at halftime, 64-56. It was a big third quarter. We outscored them by seven points. And a big reason why was Alex Caruso. You know, he hit a couple of big threes. He was flying around on defense. He was doing his thing out there. Alex Caruso looked good in the second quarter. We saw Kobe White get into the game and start being aggressive in the second quarter. Dragic played a majority of his minutes in the second quarter, was kind of a steady enforce. Patrick Williams picked up the aggression in the second quarter. I thought everybody looked good in the second quarter. The biggest red flag to me in this game was Zach Levine. So Zach Levine, he did not look right today. I didn't think he looked right at all. He was missing a lot of shots. You know, he finished uh, finished shooting 40% tonight, 8 of 19 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3, and he just didn't look like Zach Levine. He looked like last season Zach Levine out there. He wasn't getting by, guys. There was a play in the fourth quarter where he had more than a step on Joel Embiid. You know, he had turned the corner. Joel Embiid was on his hip. He was about at the top of the key. Zach Levine, when he's healthy, he's turning that corner. He's getting that dunk. He pulled it back out and just ended up passing it away to somebody else. Zach Levine is not healthy right now. He is not comfortable right now on the basketball court. You could really tell by tell by his performance tonight that he's just not quite there yet. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if his knee is still bugging him or he still just has to get his legs underneath him. Because keep in mind, this is still, you know, the hardest he's trained. He's still rehabbing from this knee injury. He wasn't able to run fives all offseason. You know, we saw him play limited minutes in the preseason. And now, obviously, he's sent out the first night of back-to-backs, it looks like. And tonight, he just didn't look good. You know, the burst wasn't there. He wasn't getting by, guys. He wasn't finishing at the rim. We still have yet to see above the rim Zach this year. So it's all a cause for concern. You know, the more games go by and the more that we're still not seeing above the rim Zach Levine, the more that I'm kind of leaning that he might be at a different point in his career, which is fine. If he's just going to be more of a jump shooter, more of a off-the-dribble type guy, he's not going to be taking it to the hoop and slamming on dudes' heads. That's fine, man. As long as you're efficient about it, that's fine. Tonight, he was not efficient at all. You know, those shooting numbers are horrible. 8 for 19, 
two for nine from three. Those are not good, efficient numbers that you need from one of your primary scorers. And the most alarming thing about Zach Levine's game tonight is he only shot two free throws. You know, that's usually a sign that a guy isn't, that an explosive athlete isn't feeling it when he's not getting the free throw attempts. Usually you can tell when guys' athleticism is waning throughout their careers because their free throw attempts per game go down. Zach Levine's been pretty good this year about getting to the free throw line. But in tonight's game, you know, he just wasn't being aggressive. He did not look like he had that burst. The only positive thing that I really saw out of Zach tonight was he looked like he gave a shit on defense. You know, you got to give him that. He gave a shit on defense. He checked Harden a couple times, especially late in the game. But he also, Zach looked tired at the end of that game, man. His conditioning does not look right right now. And maybe that plays in to the type of game we saw from him. So Zach, you know, he hasn't really looked right. We've seen some bursts from him this year, but we still haven't seen the true Zach Levine yet this year. So I'm still waiting on that. So we go into halftime. We're down 64 to 56. And then the third quarter, this is when the Bulls really started putting it on them. So the third quarter, the Bulls outscored them 31 to 26. The Bulls were out, you know, they were just outplaying them. They were getting into the passing lanes. They were frustrating the Sixers. The Sixers looked like they were going to melt down. P.J. Tucker had a couple of offensive fouls in a row. Joel Embiid committed a couple fouls. He got himself in a little bit of foul trouble. They looked like they were getting ready to melt down. You know, the Bulls battled all the way back. They were able to tie the game up. Uh, guys started make, uh, making their shots. Vucevic tonight, I thought he was great. You know, the last pot, I really called for him to get his ass in the post and stop shooting threes. And I don't take back what I said. You know, he looked great tonight from three. He shot five of seven. But coming into the game, he was averaging five attempts a game, and he was shooting 26%. So I still think I was pretty justified in saying, get your ass out of the post, you know, or not get your ass out of the post, get your ass down to the post. But I did say in my preview leading into this game in my prediction that I thought Vooch was going to have a big bounce-back game. I thought the key to beating the Sixers was to make Joel Embiid work on both ends, and Vooch definitely did that. You know, Part of the reason he shot so good from three is those threes were wide open because Joel Embiid does not want to chase you all the way out to that three-point line. So they were wide open threes, and Vooch did a great job of canning them. You still saw them getting outsized in that third quarter, but you saw Javante Green come in and just be instant energy. You know, he had a couple of big offensive rebounds. He was flying all over the place on defense. Javante Green comes in, and he is just instant energy for this team. So the third quarter was by far their best stretch of this game. It's when it was looking really solid, like they had a good shot of winning this game at the end of the third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter they started out, and they came out pretty hot in that quarter too. You know, I thought that they were really going to pull this one off. I was happy seeing Patrick Williams get some fourth quarter minutes out there after the last couple games. He hasn't got any run in the fourth quarter. He got to finish the game tonight. I think that's incredibly, uh, incredibly important for a young player like Patrick Williams who's struggling with his confidence. You got to let him know you believe in him. When he's playing strong like he is tonight, you got to let him know that you believe in him and you're going to ride him and you're going to let him finish that game. So we saw him playing out there in the fourth quarter. We saw him and Derek Jones Jr. That was a fun little lineup switch that they threw in there. Those two haven't really played that uh, together that much this year, but those two together brings a lot of length and athleticism and versatility into that front line. So I like seeing those two together out there. One thing that might be interesting for the Bulls to experiment is just get all three of them out there at the same time. And by all three, I obviously mean Patrick Williams, Derek Jones Jr., and Javante Green. You know, you could run that lineup pretty easily. You could run a small ball lineup where you got Pat at the five, DJJ at the four, 
Green at the three, and then you go Levine or DeRozan and either Io or Kobe or Dragic, whatever point guard you want to throw in there. And that could be a fun little lineup full of athleticism, full of uh, of help defense, you know, guys flying in the passing lanes, guys stepping around, guys moving in. That could be something fun to see. That could be something that I would like to see them kind of experiment with going forward here. But Vooch hit some big shots in that fourth quarter. It was by far the best game Vooch has played this year on the offensive end. 23 points, 19 rebounds. His shooting was finally up, you know, 8 for 14 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. He didn't get to the free throw line. That's, uh, you you know, you can do better than that, Vooch. You're 7 feet tall. You can do better than two free throws. But I thought he played outstanding tonight. He outplayed Joel Embiid. You know, Joel Embiid, didn't really massacre us. He had 25 and 7. That's a ma- that's a very modest stat line for Joel Embiid compared to what he normally puts up against them. And that's the frustrating thing about this game, right? Cuz you look at James Harden, he finished with 15 points, 2 of 13 shooting. So you would think they got this in the bag. James Harden shot 0 of 5 from 3. You would think they got this in the bag, but they still found a way to let the Sixers role players beat them. You know, you look at uh George Nang, he came off the bench had 15 big points for them. They were just giving him uh, open three after open three. It was frustrating to watch. Um, But the Sixers, you know, they're just such a frustrating team to play against because they flop constantly. They take charges constantly. I mean, Montrez Harrell doesn't even try to block shots. And I might be in the minority on this, but the NBA really has to do something about this, man, because it's not even basketball at this point, right? The offensive foul, like, it's... It's become total bullshit in this league. A guy drives to the hoop. You don't even try to contest the shot anymore. You just try to beat him to the spot and slide underneath him. Somebody's going to get hurt. If you go up in the air and you try to contest it, you're probably not going to hurt the guy. But when you're sliding underneath him like that, that's a dangerous play. He's up in the air. He's as vulnerable as he's going to get. I'm surprised we're not seeing more broken wrists or you know big-time injuries on some of these hard falls that we're seeing from guys with guys are sliding underneath them. Montrez Harrell must have done it four times this game. You know, everybody on the Sixers does it. And uh, it's kind of a league-wide problem. You know, guys take pride in drawing offensive fouls now. And the league really has to do something to look at it. Because it's only a matter of time before somebody gets hurt when you got guys sliding underneath you in that manner. So that would be something I'd like to see from the league going forward is just do something about these offensive fouls, man. Make dudes play real defense again. What happened in the days of, like, Alonzo Mourning, Ben Wallace, you know, these shot blockers that weren't scared to meet you at the rim and challenge your shot. If you don't got them, so be it, but they're going to challenge your shot. You know, the Dikembe Mutombos of the world, he wasn't sliding under you and trying to take a foul. Montrezl Harrell doesn't even try to block shots, man. He just slides under you and hopes for the best, and it's annoying to watch. You know, you saw the, the Sixers do a lot of whining, a lot of complaining tonight. We saw one of the all-time greatest calls I've ever heard in a broadcast when they said James Harden leads, leads the league in crying over fouls. I was crying over him saying that, man. That was one of the funniest things I've heard a man say in a live television NBA broadcast. That shit had me cracking up. But the NBA's got to do something about it, man, because it's just it's unsafe. You watch these big-time athletes going out there, sacrificing their bodies like that just for a guy to slide underneath them. You know, I'd be pissed if I was one of these dudes and a dude slid underneath me like that. So... Um, but back to the game itself, you know, that fourth quarter, I thought we saw the best Kobe White stretch there. We saw him mixing his bag up, like I referenced in previous podcasts. Kobe White is at his best when he's mixing the entire bag in. You know, when he's just a standstill three-point shooter, 
that's not a strong suit for him. When he gets to the paint, when he's you know throwing up mid-range jump shots, when he's using his speed, when he's playing passing lanes, that's when he's at his best. Let Kobe White cook a little bit, man. Don't just try to make him a catch-and-shoot guy. He can do so much. There is so much more to his game, and his handle looks very, very improved this year. So let Kobe White cook. Let him get after it a little bit more. Um, but that end sequence, you know, that end sequence was just about as frustrating as it gets. Uh, DeRozan was fouled. Caruso makes a fantastic play to go ahead and get them the ball. And then he just can't make the open three. You know, it was it was a frustrating end to a very frustrating game as a Bulls fan. But overall, you know, like I said, there's no such thing as moral victories. If the Bulls just would have came out and played with that intensity and fire in the first quarter that they were playing with in the fourth, in the fourth quarter, could have been a different game, man. Late in the fourth quarter, I don't really understand what we were doing as it uh, as it pertains to DeMar DeRozan. Because DeMar DeRozan was playing a fantastic game in the first half. Clearly, they made the adjustment. They sent him doubles every time he got the ball. One of the last sequences, I think it was the second to last time we got the ball. DeMar's dribbling the ball at the top of the key. He's got P.J. Tucker on him. Everybody else should be getting the fuck out of the way. What did they do instead? Uh, I believe Vucevic came and set the screen. All that does is allow your man to help uh, double-team DeMar DeRozan, which he did, trap DeMar DeRozan. DeMar has to throw it to Levine. Levine gets an all-right look, but it didn't go in because, you know, Zach Levine just wasn't Zach Levine today. So in those situations, don't come with a screener for DeMar, man. He can beat P.J. Tucker off the dribble. He can get a good shot. He'd been doing it all first half. Your man is just going to help double DeMar DeRozan. The Bulls have to be situationally more aware in those instances when they've been doubling DeMar DeRozan all second half. Don't help them double DeMar DeRozan. Don't bring your man to DeMar DeRozan. Don't bring that double to him. Get out of the way. You know, cut to the hoop. Flare out for three. Do something. Give DeMar DeRozan room to cook. Do not send more defenders at DeMar DeRozan. Um, So, yeah, overall... It was, a, it was a good game from the Bulls. They battled back. This is why I was so pissed off after yesterday's game, though, because I knew that today's game was going to be a tough one to pull out. You know, I'm always confident in the Bulls and the ability of this roster, so I'm always predicting them to win when I do these little pregame predictions, and I try to break down their path to winning. You know, even in games where I might not necessarily logically think they can win, I'm still going to try to break down a path to win, but... The games like yesterday, you know, that's why we need to beat up on the teams like San Antonio. That's why we can't blow games like we did against San Antonio last night. Because now you're looking at the Bulls, and uh, now they got a losing record. Now they're 3-4. and four. It'd be one thing if they were sitting at 4-3. and three. When you're sitting at 3-4, and four, it's a whole different ballgame. You know, you're below 500. It's just not a good look. And they have a very tough schedule coming up. So like I said, they got the Brooklyn Nets coming up next. That's a tough game. The Brooklyn Nets are struggling. But how many times have we seen other teams come in here struggling and then the Bulls are the team to help them get right? After the Nets, they got the Hornets. Maybe that's a game they can catch their breath at. And then we're at the Celtics again. That was an absolute battle the last time they played. The Bulls ended up winning by 20, but they had to battle back. They were down by 20 at one point. And then they got a back-to-back against the Raptors. And the Raptors are going to be a very tough matchup for them. And after the Raptors, you got to go see the Pelicans the Nuggets, and the Pelicans again. So the next 10 games are are dogfights. You know, the Bulls are really going to have have, uh, have it out for them in these games. They're really going to have to put the pressure down in these games. So that's why that San Antonio, uh, that loss against San Antonio 
hurts so much because you got to take those wins when you can get them. And that San Antonio game, that should have been a win, man. There's really no excuse for them not to get that win. So as far as tonight goes, I mean, you can chalk it up to a bunch of different things. You can chalk it up to the refs. You can chalk it up to health. Let's just hope that our guys get healthy. You know, maybe I was confused why Drummond didn't finish the game last night, but maybe he didn't finish it because that shoulder was really bugging him. It obviously kept him out tonight. Um, Io DeSumo, they're still not calling a concussion. They, uh, I forget what they're calling it, like a bruise to the head or something like that, contusion to the head. Hopefully he's right. Hopefully we can get him back. Um, but going forward, health is going to be a big thing for the Bulls going forward. So let's just hope we can get those dudes right. And let's hope that we can really take it to Brooklyn and take advantage of a struggling team. You saw them blow it easy. Not easy, but what should have been a very winnable game to the Indiana Pacers. Pacers didn't even have Miles Turner tonight. And the Nets couldn't get it done. So that, that could be a game where either the Nets are going to get right or the Bulls are going to get right, right? One of these teams are going to get right. Both these teams are slumping right now. One of these teams are going to get right. Let's hope that it's the Chicago Bulls that get right in that game. Before I go, I just want to talk about Derrick Rose. So we all saw the Derrick Rose video today. You know, it's heartbreaking shit, man. Derrick Rose is my favorite Chicago Bull of all time. So I was born in 1989 at the tail end of 89 in November. I was eight years old when Michael Jordan retired. I have Michael Jordan memories. My first memory of as a basketball fan is actually watching that flu game and just thinking it was so cool that this guy was able to go out there and still score points when even as a child I could tell he looked like death. You know, I vividly remember watching Scottie Pippen help carry him off that court and just being in awe. And then I that was really when I got tapped into the Bulls. And then that whole 98 season, you know, I was watching every game I could. This is back when WGN used to show all the games, so I was able to watch a fair amount of Bulls games. I was following them everywhere I could. Um, I got the Ultimate Jordan DVD that had, you know, all his specials and a couple of his greatest games on it. I remember for Christmas that year, I got a Chicago Bulls blanket, a Chicago Bulls beanbag, a Chicago Bulls little, little toy chest. Like, my room was bullsed out. I was all in on the Bulls. And then it was dark times, you know. Then it was dark times. Then... And then finally, I mean, we had some bright spots, you know, the Luol Deng, Ben Gordon, Kirk Heinrich team in uh, 07 that was able to beat the Miami Heat in the playoffs when they were defending champs. You know, that was a little bright spot. That was a little little glimmer of light in what was a dark couple of years. But then 2008 hits, and the Bulls aren't supposed to win that lottery. I think they had like a 1.4% chance to win that lottery. They win the lottery, and they draft Derrick Rose. And that 2010-2011 MVP season... That year is always going to be my favorite year in NBA history. You know, I was going through some personal things that year. Um, I was going through a really tough breakup. I had torn my uh, my uh, my knee up in a, in an MMA fight. So a lot of that winter was just spent on the couch watching the Bulls and just getting even more invested than in the Bulls than I already was. And that year was magical, man. What Derrick Rose did that year was truly special. It's a great reminder of what a, what a great distraction sports can be when you got personal issues going outside in your life. So that, that year is always going to hold a special place in my heart. And just seeing that interview with Rose, you know, that clip that was going around today, man, that broke my fucking heart. Like, they were, they treated him so bad for what he brought to the city, the hope he brought to the city. We hadn't had an elite basketball player, a top 10 basketball player since Michael Jordan. And Derrick Rose brought that. Derrick Rose brought all that back to the city. And what did he get? He got shit on, man. 
he got shit on so hard for his injuries. I mean, I remember how hard it was in Chicago during those years because he had he tore the ACL in a game that I will never forgive Tibbs for because Derrick Rose had no business being into that game. But then the next year, you know, he's got a rehab all year. And what people don't realize when, and I can speak to it because I've torn my knee a couple times now, what, and I can speak to it, is uh, when, you, when you do something like that, it's not necessarily the physical side of it. You know, you're able to bounce back and do the old things that you could do. Eventually, you know, whether it takes a couple months or a year, you usually get back to that point. The hardest part is the mental just trusting your body to do the same things that you did before without it giving out on you. And remember, Derrick Rose blew his knee out on a pretty routine play. He was doing a jump stop. He drove to the hoop, jump stop, knee blew out. Like, that's a, that's a routine play. I recently tore, uh, ruptured my bicep. I was boxing. I threw a left hook that I've thrown a million times in my life, and my bicep ruptured. And I just remember thinking, I've done this a million times. Why did it why is it now that it did this? And I, I imagine Derrick Rose felt the same thing when he tore his knee. You know, he's probably jump-stopped a million times in his life. And then on that one, it just blows out on him. So it was a big mental thing for him to come back and get right. So he sat out the whole next year. And I remember how toxic Chicago media was for him. They were calling him soft. They were saying they were talking shit about his brother. They were calling Derrick Rose dumb. Like, there were a bunch of articles about can he read or not. They were talking about his SAT scores in high school. They were talking about his brother's criminal activity, you know, when he was growing up. He, it's well known that Derrick Rose's brothers, you know, they, had to, they grew up in Chicago. They had to do things to make ends meet. You know, they weren't from the best neighborhoods. They had to, you know, their options were limited. They came from a tough background. So they were talking about his brothers and his family's, you know, previous criminal activities and stuff. And just a lot of things that had nothing to do with basketball. And then he comes back. And he plays the next year, and he goes down right away, tears his meniscus. You know, pretty common injury coming back from an ACL. You overcompensate on one side, and you blow something out on the other. Then he has to sit out that whole year. And then the next year, he breaks his nose in training camp, and things just kept snowballing towards him. And what the man needed at the time was a little bit of compassion, you know. And I was a Bulls fan, obviously, at that time. And for for me, you know, everybody I talked to, we, we still loved D. Rose. I don't know any Bulls fans that really gave up on D. Rose. You saw it on Twitter. You saw a lot of the toxicity on Twitter, guys, being like, get this guy out of here. He's so soft. He's so fragile. But those of us who really knew his story and watched what he was going through on a day-to-day basis, we didn't give up hope on D. Rose, man. The fans, the true Chicago Bulls fans, we never quit on him. But these journalists, man, they ran him out of town. These journalists and the Bulls organization, I've said it a million times, Gar packs, man, they sucked. They were the worst. They ran Derrick Rose out of Chicago. They ran Jimmy Butler out of Chicago. They ran Joakim Noah out of Chicago. They ran Tom Thibodeau out of Chicago. They were the worst. They had no idea what they were doing. They wanted to control everything. And then when these guys didn't let them control things, they just ran them out of town. So luckily we're done with them. But D Rose, you know, he talks about in that clip the media and the way they were covering him. And personally, People have tried telling me I'm wrong on Twitter about this. I think he's talking about Joe Cowley, man. If you've been following that dude, I don't know why he covers Chicago sports because he hates Chicago sports. This dude covers Chicago sports, but he hates Chicago sports, and he makes it personal. You hear the way he talks about athletes, and I always wonder. I'm like, dude, if you're face-to-face with these guys with no one around, right, because anybody can be tough when 100 people are around because, you know, that you then you have witnesses. If nobody's around, you in a dark alley with Derrick Rose. You going to talk to Derrick Rose that way? Probably not. Probably not. Um, but this dude, the way he talks to athletes, it's disgusting. 
And the reason I think he's talking about him, even though Derrick Rose said whoever he was, who he is talking about, is retired. And obviously, Joe Cowley's not retired right now. He's still covering the Bulls for some goddamn reason. Um, I just think Derrick Rose is mistaken on that. Maybe he doesn't follow the Chicago media scene as closely as he used to. Maybe he was told the guy was leaving the Times or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, he said that the guy he's talking about wrote an apology piece for him after he dropped 50 in the in a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform. Guess who did that? Joe Cowley wrote an apology piece. You can look it up. You know, he wrote a piece saying he was wrong about D. Rose all those years, saying that what he said about D. Rose wasn't fair all those years. And he's just, he's an example of the toxic Chicago media. You know, we had to deal, we've dealt with a lot of them over the years, but he's the one who stands out the most because he's still around and he's still spewing it. And his current target is Patrick Williams. If you guys go on his Twitter and you see the way he's talking about Patrick Williams, it's disgusting, man. Like he's the type of journalist that drives me nuts. So I just wanted to talk about the D-Rose situation because that is my all-time favorite Chicago Bull nobody's going to top him. I mean, DeMar DeRozan could deliver us a championship this year. I'm still going to ride for D-Rose as my favorite Chicago Bull of all time. And just the way he was done by the organization, and you hear the way he talks about it. And if you've ever seen that biography, or not biography, that documentary that he did where they catch him on film as he learns that he's being traded and he breaks down in tears, like, it's painful, man, because this dude had so much love for the city, so much love for the franchise, and he should have been a Chicago Bull for life. And we still talk about... You know, let's get Derek back in Chicago. But you see things like this. You see this clip of this interview, and you understand, like, it it might not happen. You know, he might not want to come back to Chicago. He probably still holds a grudge against Chicago, against the media here, because they they just, they did him so dirty throughout his career. So all I'm saying is, you know, be a little more compassionate with these athletes, man. There's a lot going on behind the scenes with these athletes. We all expect big things out of these athletes. Um, I mean, they make big money and we all look at that and we think they should be able to battle through anything. They look like supermen out on that court, but they're still human beings like the rest of us. So let's pay a little bit more attention to that side of it. And let's pay a little bit more attention to these journalists, man. Like let's start holding them accountable. Let's stop giving the Joe Cowleys of the world, um, the free reign to talk however they want about these athletes. We need people to start putting these type of dudes in check. Be like, Hey man, you can't just talk about a guy like that. You can't just bring his family into it just because he missed a jump shot. Like that's fucked up. That's not how we should be doing business around here. We need to get better at those sort of things. So just seeing that Derrick Rose interview, man, it just, it kind of broke me a little bit inside because uh, my heart just hurts for the guy every time I, I think about how he was treated by the media around here and how he was treated by the Bulls organization. You know, it's hard to root for an organization that did a guy like that. And still, they still employ John Paxson to this day you know it's hard. it's a head scratcher it doesn't really make sense but enough on that we'll be back tuesday for the post game pod after the nets game you guys can catch me on instagram tiktok twitter bloody horns podcast don't just listen to the podcast subscribe to it rate it share it with your fellow bulls fans let's go bulls